0: Hello, hello, hello and welcome back to Netflix, Coffee and Questioning Humanity. Welcome back to part two of the evolution of America's Next Top Model. In the last episode, we broke down the basics of the show and also discussed the UPN era cycles, which were cycles one through six. Now we are getting into the good stuff. We are getting into the prime era, which sadly is a short era, just cycles seven and eight, really. But in no way are you getting gypped. Because in addition to the prime era, I am also going to be discussing the downfall era, which are cycles nine through 12. And there is some hot steaming tea in all of these eras. Let me tell you, I got you. I got you. Let's not waste any time. Grab your coffee. You're going to need all the espresso for this one. Friendly reminder that this is an explicit podcast, which means I may discuss explicit content while most certainly using explicit language. So little ears, those easily offended, and my mom and dad may want to bow out. Now, on with the show. So let me let you in on a little secret. This is a big series and a big project and I am pre-recording and this is kinda gonna give away the time frame of when I am pre-recording this, but that's okay. I am drinking the Taylor Latte from Starbucks and it's literally, first of all, let me explain how this went about and then I'll give you a very thorough review. So if you don't know, Taylor re-released her album Red and I wouldn't say I'm a Swifty, it's this album, Speak Now and Reputation. I guess that kind of makes me a Swifty. But those three albums are like iconic. And I felt this, especially on TikTok. TikTok will hype you up in a fandom. So I was feeling all hyped up. I was ready for this re release and I saw that she had her Taylor latte coming to Starbucks. It's a non fat caramel latte. And I knew this, by the way. I didn't think this was something special. I wanted it because I thought they were writing like little Taylor Swift messages on the top or they'd be like a Taylor Swift sticker or something or another. The only thing that this has that remotely even points to it being Taylor Swift's is on the sticker. It says Taze in parentheses. I wanted something written on the top. In all fairness, they were super busy. I literally got through the 10 minute version of All Too Well while waiting in line for this latte. So they probably didn't want to take the time to write Taylor's on the top. They're probably like, nah, bitch, the- we don't care. We have other customers to serve. And that is totally fine. I will say I wish I had gotten my shaken espresso brown Sugar with oat milk situation. I like that a lot better. That's my favorite drink at Starbucks, but this will do, this is all right. It's exactly enough for what I need for today's episode. So let's dive in, shall we?
1: We are on America's Next Top Model and these fools just got up there and got some darn T-shirts. A T-shirt? What you gonna do with a T-shirt? Audrey Hepburn. I love her in Dinner at Tiffany's. I'm sorry, lunch, lunch, I'm sorry. It's a complete train wreck. Do you honestly think that there's ever going to be a plus-size model on the cover of O? Stop telling me no. I want Who cares if we burp or flirt? And if we catch you being a diva in your next photo shoot, you're going home. She walks like a pigeon-toed duck with a piece of poop hanging out of her ass.
0: Bitch, I'm gonna your ass! I believe that if the animal's alive, you shouldn't kill it to make a fur coat or anything. But if it's already dead, then you could take the skin <laughs> off.
1: They really can't even handle just being normal. How the hell do you think I can dance while telling the story? Tell what story? What story do you want to hear? I'm not in your face, bitch. Ski,
0: sadly. This is so scary. Time I know, right? I just want to tell you that some people have war in their countries. The Prime Era is a short-lived era with only the two cycles 7 and 8. But I do think it's really important to exclude these two cycles. They didn't fall in the UPN era and they most certainly weren't a part of the downfall. So here they stand all on their own. This truly is the peak of America's Next Top Model rating wise and fan favorite wise. Obviously, opinions differ based on when the viewer was most engaged with the show, but based on surveys done all over the internet, ratings from that time, and conversations with my own friends, this truly was the standout era. At first I was really confused by this information because I thought that this is exactly where the gimmicks began and the modeling ended. It was subtle compared to the later cycles, but romance novel shoots and celebrity couples That wasn't enjoyable for me as an adult on my rewatch, but the photo shoots that I thought were the most corny as an adult were the ones I found most entertaining when I was a preteen. And I think that's really where the key is, the preteen age. That's really where the loyal audience was. That's my speculation at least, purely speculation, but I have my reasons for that, but I'll die on that hill nevertheless. I think the CW figured out that a lot of viewers were a lot younger than 18 and capitalized on that. But as an adult in 2021, I can see past the fog of gimmicks. And I think for those who haven't seen these cycles since they aired may have the nostalgic memory, you know? It's kind of clouding their judgment a bit. It's kind of like that same fondness in nostalgia and memory rather than in the actual quality of content, if that makes any sense at all. Similar to the. Disney Channel movies, that's probably the easiest thing to compare it to. I remember thinking that Phantom at the Megaplex or of the Megaplex, whatever it was, was Tarantino quality. I thought that movie was art. Rewatch that movie as an adult though. It's it's a, it's a wild ride. The biggest and most obvious change after Cycle 6 was that the network America's Next Top Model premiered on, UPN, merged with the WB to form the new network, the CW. The CW's main goal was to laser focus on the 18 to 34 market and that's really who America's Next Top Model was catering to as well as the preteen market as I said in my opinion. So the expectations for ANTM were very high and they were churning these cycles out. I think it's really important to have some background information on what was happening with Tyra at that moment. And I think it can bring potential clarity to her behavior in the upcoming cycles. Tyra Banks launched her own talk show the year before selling it to TV stations in 190 markets and owning a hefty stake in it. And it had been renewed for a sophomore season just as ANTM was on the air for three years and she owned 25% of that show as well. At that point, Tyra was earning upward of 18 million dollars and had a grueling schedule, as you can imagine. Top Model was now premiering in I believe 11 countries at the time and ANTM was pumping out 13 new weekly episodes every six months or so. And The Tyra Banks Show turned out 170 episodes a year. For five months of the year from August to December, Tyra Banks worked 12 hours a day, seven days a week, taping two talk show episodes three days a week, plus daily segments for America's Next Top Model and preparing her last fashion show for Victoria's Secret. She would wake up at 4 a.m., be in makeup by 5 a.m. She was only running on three or four hours of sleep each night. In summation, or skim milk version, Tyra was very thinly spread and wore a lot of hats. Not that this is a bad thing. She clearly has a lot of drive, but we do see this take a toll on her. Cycle 7 came out of the gate with a bang, and after its restart, surgeons and push from CW marketing. It was the most watched Cycle while on the CW network, averaging 5.13 million viewers per episode, and Cycle 7 and 8 were the number one show on the entire network. Now, there were some changes to the show. The prizes changed from a contract with Ford to a contract with Elite Model Management, and they switched from a spread in L magazine to a spread in Seventeen magazine, but they kept the CoverGirl cosmetics deal. To me, this shows that they really knew their young demographic graphic and they catered to it, especially with Seventeen magazine. I remember being so excited seeing Carrie D and Jasleen on the cover when I was a kid. Cycle 7 had the perfect mix of house drama that wasn't horrendously cringe, and it was pretty decent on the modeling side. I say that with bias because of that goddamn space photo shoot. It will live in infamy. It's the one where the girls in Cycle 7 were reaching for the covergirl Moose Foundation. Remember when Moose Foundation was a thing and we were all either like orange or Red, good times. That was the worst photo shoot in top model history. This cycle had not only juicy house drama, but also interesting, yes gimmicky, I stand by that, but ultimately entertaining photo shoots and challenges. And speaking of challenges, they were right out of the gate with the drama on those two. I think it was the first challenge or shoot, I can't remember what it was, that they had to do nude. Following that scandalous format from Cycle 1 that the producers knew would cause drama and intrigue. What I think Cycle 7 had mainly going for it was the humor. I really thought this cycle was one of the funniest, if not the funniest. I think one thing that was done well in this entire era, Cycles 7 and 8, was shaping a narrative. We were made to love the winner early on. Carrie D is probably the most loved contestant of the entire series. She added to that humor and she was incredibly warm and likable. Once again, she and the America's Next Top Model team sold us the fantasy. Carrie D was the girl next door. We all knew a Carrie D goofball, playful girlfriend type. Some of us even are a Carrie D. We see familiarity in her and because of all that, we were sold the fantasy of being picked from obscurity to becoming a celebrity. The same thing happened with cycle eight winner, Jasmine. She is another fan favorite of the entire series. She was so upbeat and she was beautiful inside and out, yet she still had this fire within her that was infectious. We all wanted to be like Jasmine. We wanted to be sassy, intelligent, beautiful, all while still being down to earth. And neither of these girls had perfect lives prior to the show. So it was almost like we were on this journey with them, on the upward trajectory to being successful and famous. On the flip side of creating a narrative, there was also a more negative tune to that. It worked at the time for the show and giving the drama, but it also negatively affected some contestants. Melrose, I think, was a great example of this. She was really painted as the bitch. Many contestants have said after the fact that it was really unfair editing for her. She was determined and that was labeled as being unlikable, and that really isn't fair. Hardcore ANTM fans love, love, love Carrie D, but some still think that Melrose was the entire package and that she should have won. also a narrative and a storyline shaped for other contestants as well. Two that stick out to me are the twin sisters, Michelle and Amanda. That made such an interesting storyline. We tuned in week after week, wondering when will the sisters be broken up? What if they made it to the final two? What will their makeovers be? Will they make them look completely different? Will they cut off one's hair? Speaking of makeovers, oh my God. Seven and eight had some of the most entertaining ones. We had the typical chop the pretty girl with the strong faces hair all the way off just to make her cry. Cycle eight stepped up the controversy a bit more and the makeover sort of poked fun at girls in prior cycles crying over what they got, which I thought was ironic because none of the girls were really throwing a fit and it was almost like production wanted to make fun of girls in prior cycles for being so emotional. But then when the girls weren't emotional in this cycle, they were like, oh, shit, we have to throw throw in some drama. We have to make someone cry or makeover day won't be interesting. So they did eight hours of painful braiding for a weave on JL just to rip it all out. And those braids can be very painful. It's very tight on the scalp. So yeah, eight hours passed. She gets the braids in for extensions and then they're like, oh, sorry. We decided your hair is dope. We'll just go back to your short hair. Rip it all out. It's almost like they did it for drama because it was a fairly calm makeover day. Aside from that one whiny chick crying over literally nothing I can't even remember what she got or what her name was I think it was Britney hopping into the controversies from cycle seven there were a few one of the contestants I believe her name was Monique She was mad at Melrose for some reason and wiped her underwear on Melrose's bed. That was like a minor controversy, but it's still nasty nonetheless. Another crazy thing that happened was during one of the photo shoots. As I previously mentioned, the shoots were entertaining, but sometimes they were very dangerous. This one specifically was in a freezing cold pool, like unnecessarily cold. And the girls had to pose in that cold water. And this led Carrie D to convulse and reach the moment of hypothermia. Tyra was like, you have to tell us to stop. It wasn't just that she was cold. It wasn't just that her teeth were chattering. She had reached the moment
1: of hypothermia. You have to listen to your body and you have to tell us, okay? Okay. Because all we know is go, 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 go. but you have to tell us no. Uh
0: After endless scrutiny of girls who have done that very thing in earlier cycles and were told off because of it.
1: I have a stomach condition and it is the worst pain in the world, but I just have to model through it. And that's what you did, Danielle. Fashion has no mercy. They don't.
0: Also, Jada had to kiss a racist male model.
1: Jada's partner, Nacho, tells Jada that he doesn't even like black girls. She's like, are you serious? No one should be treated like that. I would...
0: Then Jada was eliminated for poor performance. As I mentioned in the last episode when talking about Kenya's sexual assault, that's not something anyone has to deal with, model or not, new or old. That's absolutely unprofessional on the male models part saying he doesn't want to kiss a black girl. That has nothing to do with Jada's performance, and everything to do with that male model. It would be time for him to go, for him to be replaced, not her. So I felt really bad when she was cut. One thing that came out later that was kind of controversial in a way, but I thought it was something to know. Molly Sue from a previous cycle, who I believe has her own agency now, had some interesting comments about Carrie D's impact in the modeling world. Just want to give a quick editing note, shout out to Oliver Twixt. He does so many amazing top model interviews on his YouTube channel, and that is where I am getting these clips from.
1: When you say that you think Carrie D messed it up, what exactly are you referring to? Are you referring to her as a person or just unintentionally what her career did or what exactly
0: are you no one corrected her no one was like no we don't swing our arms in front when we walk on the runway no we don't do this no we don't
1: act like this i think she just got out in the world like a lot of girls do there she's signed right a lot of us had to go get signed or whatever she she's signed and she's like here i am With no one saying, all right, stop, take a breath, and let's learn how to walk.
0: Molly also believes that Carrie D was the start of Elite becoming exhausted with America's Next Top Model Girls. And noted a specific moment in which they were doing casting for a Heatherette show. She said Carrie D's walk was horrible and, quote, made her want to die.
1: I remember we were at a casting together for, like, Heatherette. Like, back in the day, some Heatherette. And, um, just watching her walk, I wanted to die.
0: As Molly mentioned in the interview with Oliver, a lot of the contestants were just thrown out into the modeling world without any proper corrections. And a lot of America's Next Top Model winners aren't as successful as the show made it seem like they would be. A sprinkle of contestants have had success like Eva and Yaya and Winnie from a much later cycle. But successful or not, most agree that America's Next Top Model actually hurt their career rather than help. A piece of juicy drama that aired was a fight between Carrie and Nigel at the bullfighting photo shoot. It was said by many after the fact that that was completely overblown for TV and it wasn't that big of a deal. By the time Cycle 8 hit the airwaves, America's Next Top Model was airing in over 110 countries and Top Model had spinoffs in numerous countries. Needless to say, this was a powerhouse of a franchise. Thanks in huge part to the mega success of Cycle 7. Cycle 8 followed Cycle 7 in creating a narrative and the narrative was painted almost too well. And I think by the end of the show, viewers were happy to root for the winner, Jasmine, because she was so sweet and talented. But there was also that bore factor because we almost knew she was gonna win. She got the first call out photo almost every week, did amazing in her challenges. There really was no competition. It was like reaching the top of a roller coaster. And then there's no drop, which we thought we wanted. I say we as in me, like me and all the voices in my head. I don't know how you felt. We thought we wanted no drop. We thought we wanted Jasmine to win, but then when we just went straight on the roller coaster and Jasmine won, we were like, oh, yeah. Bored, we knew this. Again, maybe that was just me. Aside from JL and Jazeline, the contestants weren't super likable. I found Natasha hilarious, but more so as an adult. It's not
1: okay! It's okay. It sucked because it's not my <laughs> It is because I asked him to meet me over there. I just want to tell you that some people have war in their countries. I don't know if you're marching or walking. Miss Jay and he
0: said that I walk like I'm Martian. I'm doing great.
1: There are girls really masculine and they just not supposed to be here. Why are they here? But I don't care. There is no competition for me because I can beat them all. Jay said that your shoot was the hardest in top model history to direct, and that you're worse than Anne from cycle a top model i remember and She was one of the most beautiful girls <laughs> i love it I thank you. you love it i love it I love so you took it me. as a positive yeah fabulous. who cares if we purple or flirt? i was born in a different place than you girls yeah. no i'm normal i don't know maybe you're not normal i'm tired uh, of you where? telling me bad stuff about me okay i'm not
0: there was also Hulahey. Dion you
1: had a super self name and that name is Hulahey. Hulahey. It's not a great name.
0: And I thought she was pretty funny as well. She was she was pretty likable. This cycle was really when I began to notice the shift from girls who could really make it as models that genuinely could make it as models and had the personality and the look to casting girls that made good television. I know we saw twinkles of it in prior cycles, but that type of casting seemed like it was a main priority this cycle. It was very clear and apparent in cycle eight. Production was really stepped up and the sets looked incredible. The house, the judging panel, all of it looked amazing. I noticed this the most on makeover day because the salon literally was moved into the living room of the fucking house. It was insane. Obviously budget yet again went up and we see a lot of celebrities, fabulous fashion, and more elaborate, albeit dangerous challenges like the contestants walking on a runway made of unstable pink blocks. Why? We may never know. Entertainment, I guess. I guess that's a modeling world thing. They act like this is the standard for runway when I literally saw Macaulay Culkin modeling Gucci down Hollywood Boulevard, I think, wherever the stars are. I'm such an East Coaster. I've never even been close to California. The closest to California I've ever been is fucking Louisville, Kentucky. So there you go. Regardless, the point stands. It really was unnecessary shit that they were doing, but it was entertaining. Some of the controversies from cycle eight, well, Tyra nearly quit as host of the show during this cycle due to stress. And we also heard from contestants that she really wasn't very present this cycle. And really, how could she be with so much on her plate? The other controversies this cycle were quite dark. Renee Alway, who placed third during Cycle 8, turned to drugs and became homeless after the lights had dimmed on the reality show. She was arrested in 2013 on felony burglary charges and was sentenced to 12 years in prison. She pleaded guilty to four burglary counts and one count each of vehicle theft and being a felon in possession of a firearm. All of these were felonies. On top of that, she also had a misdemeanor count of identity theft. And sad news as well, unfortunately, JL passed away in 2018 after a battle with breast cancer at the age of 34. She had so much light within her, even in her final days. During interviews she's done after the show, and of course, during her time on America's Next Top Model, she's always presented herself so beautifully, so full of love and light, and it's just such an unfortunate loss. There really is no easy way to transition out of, you know, the very unfortunate unfortunate and sad topic of Renee and JL. And for that, I do apologize. I understand it's abrupt to go from that to being back to like, oh, girl, the tea. But we are transitioning into the next era of America's Next Top Model, the downfall era, which are cycles nine through 12. And hopefully the clips from this cycle can be a nice palette cleanser for you to move on to the next topic.
1: This necklace here, it's my lucky necklace that has an eyeball. I like eyeballs because I was born with a bloody eyeball. Celia accidentally does like a roundhouse kick to, I mean, his face. I'm killing it. I didn't do anything to hurt you. Did I break a limb?
0: Every word that she said, has no meaning, it's just verbal diarrhea. Get
1: outside, get in the trash where you belong. Are you worried that your boyfriend's not gonna like it? he didn't like it, you need a new boyfriend one thing that you say is beautiful and it's unfair that you've never had one what is that nosebleeds i used to get them all the time as a child jealous you look like you had anita's in water girl do you ever take money yeah a lot of money you do what this is the headless horseman drowning
0: in a pool of his own blood what were you thinking when you were up there
1: i felt like i
0: was a sea
1: nymph on acid scaling a wall in the sunshine
0: After the seventh and eighth cycle, America's Next Top Model went from consistently being the top viewed show on the CW to slipping severely in ratings, like around half a million kind of drop. Okay, this was severe. And thus we have the downfall era. We noticed small changes at first in cycle nine, seemingly in an effort to make the show more modern. Like the stupid Tyra Mail ticker thing that they would all read out loud in unison. And also the push to get a message across. That seemed very prevalent. I wasn't mad at that, though. I believe if it's done correctly, then it can be a really awesome addition to the show. For example, Cycle 9 was the first non-smoking cycle. Love that. They were all about the environment and going green and even infused it into photo shoots. There was this really dark and intense anti-smoking campaign and one shoot revolving around eco-friendly fashion, which again, I enjoyed. My main gripe with Cycle 9 and this push to get a message across was that this was the only cycle that they did it for, or at least that they showed. And that kind of came off as pandering or a grab for viewership. I do commend Them on trying this and using their massive platform to get a message across. I love that regardless of the why behind it. It reached a large group of people and the message got through to an impressionable young audience in a cool way. So at the end of the day, I'm really not mad at it, but it is kind of annoying when they just do it for the ratings. Another awesome thing that happened this cycle was the casting of Heather who has Asperger's syndrome. I loved seeing her and I remember being really intrigued and really grateful that she was on TV as a kid. That was my first time seeing someone on reality TV that was on the spectrum. Unfortunately, a lot of girls' treatment towards Heather was just straight up ableist and unacceptable and those bits were very painful to watch. Even more unfortunately, this type of mean girl shit continued and became even more intense and hard to consume. Something else that was a bit hard to consume were the changes that happened in this era, especially the changes that happened between cycle 9 and cycle 10. They bumped the contestants to 14, moved the show from LA to New York, and replaced the beloved Twiggy with Paulina Poroskova, allegedly due to scheduling conflicts. Paulina was very well known in the fashion and modeling world. In 1984, at 18 years old, she became the first woman from Central Europe to be on the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. In 1988, Poroskova earned what was then the highest paying modeling contract ever, a $6 million contract with Estee Lauder. Paulina was much more intense than Twiggy as far as judging went. Twiggy was like that sweet aunt that brought the pie to the Christmas party that was like the best tasting fucking pie you've ever had in your life and Paulina was like the cool aunt that was smoking on the back porch that forgot to get you a Christmas gift so she peeled off 50 bucks and gave that to you instead. Paulina's judging style was very similar to Nigel Barker as far as how she delivered her critique. As ratings continued to plummet, tweaks and twonks were again implemented in cycle 11 like moving the show again from New York back to LA. The cover girl of the week contestant that happened in previous cycles was replaced with top models in action, focusing on alumni's post-show careers, which were seemingly dressed up for interesting television, to remind the viewer again of the fantasy they were selling, of fame and fortune and celebrity, because clearly that was not being bought by the audience anymore. They needed to step that up. Remember, the fantasy is their bread and butter. In all honesty, no matter what they did in cycle 11 to make it good uh, it would have failed. That cycle was so horrendous to watch from start to finish. I didn't even remember who won this cycle. It was McKee by the way in case you don't remember either and she was talented and gorgeous and so sweet but the whole cycle was polluted by hatred and transphobia towards the contestant ISIS. We will absolutely get into that when I discuss the controversies but I just wanted to make note of how overshadowed this cycle ironically given the catchphrase feel the love was for contestants and viewers alike. Cycle 12 adjusted the number of contestants again to 13 and it started off a bit odd. Tyra was again doing what she does best being gimmicky and she dressed up as the goddess of fierce in Las Vegas during the semifinals. It also spilled a plethora of random information from contestants like more than usual and that's when I knew this cycle was going to be a wild ride with the contestants. There was a blood fast uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was someone's ex-boyfriend. Another girl never worked a day in her life. And another girl shared her burn scars. And one contestant, Angela Lee, told us about the death of her daughter and how she had to sleep in the Port Authority bus terminal just so she could audition for the show. It was just a lot to take in. The good, the bad, the sad, all of it. It was a mix of heavy and strange information being loaded onto us as viewers. And many of us were still fucking recovering from cycle 11. We had hoped that cycle 12 would be different. We were hoping that contestants with upsetting and moving stories would be shot to success to heal their woes and boost their self-esteem. Spoiler alert, America's Next Top Model shit on that dream of ours. Anjali was eliminated after a bickering match with another girl affected her performance. And in an early episode, we actually see the contestant Talia, who shared her burn scars, actually have a break in her confidence when the designers for a runway show specifically dressed her to cover said scars more than once. A lot of the strangeness was due to editors chopping up footage to be bizarre or dramatic or to make us relate to or feel for the contestant The editing was very purposeful and done very well. Makeovers early in this era were becoming a bit too safe and not dramatic enough. Because of this, they seemed to hype up the intensity and drama of the makeover episodes that have been oh so successful in earlier cycles. I feel like they were pretty successful with this. They did one cycle with a screen reveal of digital images for makeovers and secret makeovers where no one knew what they were getting. It was very entertaining to watch. There was also a lot of travel to add to the excitement, which I think that actually appealed to people. I believe I am the odd man out, because the Destination episodes weren't my favorite, even though they were consistently one of the most hyped episodes of every cycle. I was excited to see the new houses when the girls traveled, but that was really it. It was a nice change of scenery, and the go were fun. Even though, speaking of go a lot of contestants later would go on to say production set them up to fail on those challenges. Which, by now, are we surprised? No. Despite all of the attempts to bump the excitement up and all the changes that were made to help with the viewership each cycle that viewership continued to go down and you could tell that they were for freaking out trying to primp and prune the format like I said they moved the show from LA to New York and then they moved it back to LA they hyped up the gimmick and shticks. like in cycle 11 they had this weird futuristic theme with Tyra Bot I think her name was even the more successful bumps and excitement that they made like I mentioned the makeovers, like how they kept one of the cycle's makeovers secret from the contestants until it was finished. Even that was turned into a gimmick. Tyra joined the models over princess-themed pizza and then she announced that the makeovers would commence the following day. But in a twist as she was about to announce their makeovers an evil witch, who was Miss J, appeared and gave her an apple which of course turned out to be poisonous. Tyra then fainted. She was revived by Prince Couture, who was Mr. J, but told the girl she could no- That's my alarm for the all-too-well- short film oh my god this is so telling of what day I'm recording oh my god anyway she was revived by Prince Couture but told the girls she could no longer remember what their makeovers were the next day during the makeovers all mirrors inside of the salon were covered indicating that the girls would only see their new looks when they were completed most girls were satisfied except Alina who cried expressing that her look did not fit the image she had of herself which I could care less that girl was so nasty it's almost like they needed the gimmick and they needed the extra excitement on makeover day because the girls kind of already knew their role. They understood the assignment. They know they couldn't cry. They knew what they were getting into when they signed up. They all would kind of go in with the expectation of, oh my god, they're probably going to shave my head and I have to be okay with that. According to contestant Victoria Marshman of Cycle 9, the show deprived the girls from sleep and thus contributed to the reason why emotions were constantly high, which was nothing new based on what former contestants have shared. It upped the drama, which was exactly Exactly what they were looking for to spike ratings. The high emotions were critical in upping the drama, which was exactly what the producers were looking for, of course. Victoria also shared the reason why all the girls screamed when Tyra walked into the room was because the producers made them. The producers would make them reshoot scenes with higher energy if they were being too casual when Tyra entered a room. So the breadcrumbs I dropped in the last episode during the UPN era about Tyra slowly starting to make the show revolve around herself that began to snowball on the subject of Tyra centricity there was a weird challenge in cycle 12 where the girls had to pose using face cutouts of famous Tyra pickers why is that necessary they could have easily done like famous supermodel face cutouts it didn't just have to be Tyra as we move into controversies I would just like to say there were a lot of frowned upon behaviors in previous cycles and they were bad and I'm sure it turned a lot of viewers away but there has been no cycle like cycle 11. This I believe was the nail in the coffin for a lot of viewers. I was born physically male but mentally everything else I was born female. Some people might say that I'm transgender, some people might say transsexual. Personally I prefer born in a wrong body meaning I was born physically male on the outside but everything else about me was female. Isis, I thought she she looked a little manly. Like I have small boobs too but her boobs, are, she has no boobs. Ain't this supposed to be a girl competition? How does you get through the door if I have to get along with Isis I will but then again if it comes between me and my goal I'll stop letting man right out of the competition
1: I'm not gonna lie it makes me uncomfortable as hell i like it freaks me out that she got something else different down there than me I, I could think the thing about Isis though is like I was like trying to convince myself I was comfortable like hey you comfortable hey you comfortable but really I'm not sometimes people have a warped view of transgender yeah so like I like always felt like and I'm like "Time in a small town hell yeah we have a warped yeah, view hell yeah
0: <laughs> You, you walk around like that in a small town, you get shot. And it's not so much a closed-minded view,
1: it's just more traditional. Coming from a good Southern family, I was really thrown back by ISIS. Growing up in the South, you don't exactly run
0: into a ishi every day. ISIS has no place in this competition. It was so painful to watch the treatment of ISIS. I couldn't bear to watch it the first time when I wasn't exactly sure what was going on as a kid, let alone watching it in 2021 when I had a very clear idea about what was happening and happening amongst fully cognizant adults. There were some girls that were very, very respectable. Isis
1: is a pretty cool chick. In the kind of situation that she's in, you'd think that she'd want to like hide everything, but she's open, she's forthwith. She's not going to hide who she is from anybody. I'm this big fighter girl, and I think that she's like tenfold more more brave than I am. For
0: Isis to be so brave and so secure with who she is and being able to not let anything bother her, it's very commendable. But most were giggling and cackling like fucking schoolgirls. And why? Why do you think that is? Because they felt threatened by a competitor. They felt threatened by a woman living in a way they couldn't comprehend, in a way that was different. And instead of showing kindness and understanding, they showed hatred, which ultimately says more about them than it does about ISIS. I would have no problem if these girls were just competitive and yeah, maybe a little bit nasty. That happens sometimes in America's Next Top Model. As Jade famously said, it's not America's Next Top Best Friend. Cattiness can bring an eye roll, but this wasn't competitiveness or cattiness. This was disturbing. The way Isis was treated by the girls just for simply being herself and being a great model was abysmal. And I can't even imagine how horrendous that experience must have been for her. I don't understand why anyone gives a shit. Like, honestly, pull your fucking life together. You sound dummy mad in a projection kind of way. Are you so insecure about your gender identity that you have to distract yourself with how others view their own? Absolutely tragic. The beautiful thing is the girl who was the most outspoken and cruel towards ISIS was the first to be eliminated. McKee, who won that cycle, confirmed that the transphobia was as bad as it was depicted on the show. Isis was McKee's roommate and they slept in what was essentially a hallway together and they were pretty close. They would help each other out in the mornings as they needed it. And McKee stated that Isis had a very uphill battle with educating people and doing her shoots. She had a very hard time. She would need her own bathroom space and the other girls were mean and relentless about it. Isis dealt with this very gracefully in a way that was very similar to Ebony from the first cycle. And I cannot say this enough. Isis was a trailblazer for the trans community. McKee also said in her interview with Oliver Twix that Isis always kept it together no matter what was said to her. And she never cried. Isis spoke more recently with Jay Manuel and she said during her time on the show that she confronted Hannah, who was extremely cruel towards her, outside the hot tub with a kind of, let me educate you, Miss Thing, conversation. And that didn't air for whatever reason. And I think that would have been very beneficial. So I'm upset that they didn't air that. Hannah apologized, but then still played her little victim card. It's later mentioned that the newly enlightened Hannah recently reached out to Isis and even wanted to take her to lunch. But unfortunately, Isis's busy schedule to Just didn't allow it. We love that for ISIS. In 2009, which was around the time of the 12th cycle of America's Next Top Model, Tyra began production on yet another project called True Beauty with Nole Marin, Vanessa Manillo, and Cheryl Teagues, in which the contestants competed to see who was the most beautiful. They were judged on their inner beauty in addition to their appearance. However, they think that they are only being tested on outer beauty. The contestants competed for $100,000 and to be featured in People magazine's 100 Most Beautiful people issue. The series was produced by Tyra Banks and Ashton Kutcher. It only had 16 episodes premiere, but again, this was a producer job on top of her ANTM duties and her talk show and whatever else she had going on spreading herself even thinner. Moving on to the next controversy that was from Cycle 10. Whitney, the winner, was not a favored winner and it felt like it wasn't deserved to many viewers. A lot of viewers were up in arms and thought Anya was clearly the front runner. The two were so far apart with first call outs and challenge wins, which again means they had the best performance of the week. So a lot of people speculated if it was just to increase buzz for the show by having the first plus size winner. I don't know how I personally feel about that. There were a few instances in previous cycles where the winner didn't quite make sense to me. The main ones that stick out are Nicole winning over Nick and Carrie D over Melrose. I think because Whitney was not exactly likable and some viewers didn't think she was as talented as some of the other contestants like Anya, that's what caused a bit of an eye roll amongst them. And I can understand that. The season before that also had a winner scandal, dubbed Celestia Gate. Selicia Stowers, winner of ANTM Cycle 9, was discovered to have some advantages over fellow contestants. She attended Tyra's T-Zone camp for young women growing up, which could have possibly made Tyra biased. She also appeared in a national Wendy's commercial, which was considered acting. Though she had no lines, she still had to act out the scenario. And finally, she modeled on Tyra's own talk show before becoming a contestant. These advantages directly broke right regulations set by producers, one of those producers being Tyra Banks herself. Many believe Celicia was handpicked to be the winner before Cycle 9 ever started. Something very important to note is the fact that the contestant application clearly says that at the discretion of the producers, rules can be changed without notice. So there's that. However, most of the arguments about Salicia Gate focus on the fact that Silicia, despite her past experience, was mediocre compared to many of the other contestants that cycle, namely Gina, Heather, Lisa, Ebony, and Victoria. And some even said she was way too commercial for high fashion modeling. The Silicia Gate scandal seems far more credible than the Whitney argument. It's not completely far fetched in my eyes. But the bigger issue I had was with Salicia being made. To Lord Farquaad during her makeover.
1: Some of you may die, but it's a sacrifice I am willing to make.
0: Hopping forward again to cycle 10, the aspiring model stayed in a $6 million apartment. The contestants that cycle caused half a million dollars in damages. They left food on the walls. They damaged a $15,000 chandelier beyond repair. There was also $90,000 in damages to the store below, and the film crew had punched hundreds of holes in the ceiling to hang lighting equipment and tore up the Brazilian wood floors. In the end, a $125,000 settlement was reached. Cycle 10 had a bunch of party animals, apparently. In an interview with Celia from Cycle 12, she revealed that when Natalie was eliminated, her and Tyra had a screaming fight where Natalie called Tyra out on all her bullshit. The alleged bullshit being that the show was rigged and she went on to call out every single judge as well as Tyra. Only the people in that room know the details of what happened and this is all we got regarding those details so far. I'm hoping for more tea. Apparently, it wasn't a Tiffany, we were all rooting for you 2.0, where Tyra just went completely off the rails. Tyra did absolutely nothing when Natalie went for her. She smiled, gave her a little half-hearted hug, and, you know, knew that the footage would all be erased and that it wouldn't matter. Editors would take care of it something very confusing for viewers in cycle 10 was contestant kim quitting during the first judging panel
1: let's go back to casting because it just happened and there were 20 girls standing there in that room when i was handing out your diplomas and i had to leave six girls there crying and here you are in this place saying that this is not something that you're passionate about i'm just being honest like i don't You know, I don't believe in the whole, like, you know, I need to wear designer outfits and, like... But you don't need to wear designer outfits as a model. Well, I know that, but I'm just saying, like, that's why I wasn't, like, it just, I don't find it interesting. Do you want to just go home? Yeah. All right, go home. I always, like, thought I'd love to be a model, and now that I'm actually doing it, like, I did like it, but it just doesn't, it's, I don't think it's for me. Like, it was fun, it was a great experience, but, um, yeah, my heart is just not in it. After
0: being accepted as a finalist, she went on to consistently say she didn't get fashion or high-end expensive stuff. She expressed that she lacked passion for the competition, which was so bizarre and didn't quite feel right watching it. It was like, then why are you here? That doesn't make sense. Like, it's not like you just show up on the doorstep of America's Next Top Model and they let you in. It's a process. Months after that episode, Kim appeared on The Tyra Banks Show and revealed the real reason she quit was because she experienced depression due to her ex-boyfriend's suicide happening three months prior to the competition.
1: So tell everybody what it was really about. It sounded so crazy because it wasn't true. Mm -hmm. And now that I look back on it, I'm like, oh my god, that was so silly of me to do. The real reason was three months before the show, my ex-boyfriend committed suicide. It was By far the hardest thing I've ever gone through at that point in my life it was so sudden and I rushed into the whole top model thing which I actually I love fashion I loved being there I loved meeting Tyra and I wanted it so bad but I didn't feel good on the inside Mm -hmm. I was a mess and And if you don't feel good on the inside you can't be okay on the outside and in hindsight I'm so happy that you left because I don't want you to be feeling sick inside and going through something so traumatic and having to put a smile on your face that's not that's yeah. not what the conversation is. I guess when about. I was get going to our dish and I'm like, I think this will be a great stepping stool to get away from everything and it will help me, but mm-hmm. you know, I got there and I'm like this is just overwhelming it makes it I, worse. S- I can't do this right now because mm-hmm. all I have is the death on my mind and your ex-boyfriend was not the first person in your life to commit suicide no when I was in seventh grade my mom committed suicide oh. so it kind of even made it worse mm-hmm. because I started feeling like oh my god what am I doing to people why is everyone around me dying and mm-hmm. I got into a pretty bad depression and a lot of anxiety I was in and out of the hospital having panic attacks mm. it was
0: tragically kim later passed in 2016 at the age of 29 there was a photo shoot from cycle 10 that was not the most outrageous or offensive on its face but still it was like a homeless model shoot which yeah it's distasteful but not as fucking cringe as the intro to said photo shoot that was a plug for the tyra show she showed her experience being homeless for a day with cameras rolling the whole time you have to watch it honestly there's no way to put into words how bad this was I'm sure if you google the Tyra Banks show homeless scene you can find it you will not believe your eyes the whole thing was very cringe and very Tyra centric yet again when it was supposed to be centered around homeless youth I love the message, again, I'm so happy that it reached so many viewers, but it didn't make it any less cringe to watch, and ultimately just added to the, it's all about me, Tyra Snowball. And another fun little pair of rocks to throw in that snowball. As well as her full plate of shit to do, there was the spin off series Modelville, and it premiered within The Tyra Show. I believe it aired simultaneously with Cycle 11, if I'm not mistaken. It featured five former contestants of America's Next Top Model who competed for a $50,000 spokesperson contract with Carol's daughter. There were four episodes, each an hour long, and it was a similar format to America's Next Top Model. The contestants all lived in the same house, but they were allowed technology to blog their whole process. Each model had to direct and star in a 30-second commercial for Carol's Daughter. The competition was documented on a bi-weekly basis on the Tyra Banks show, except for the finale. This also seemed like Tyra was dipping her toes into the idea of gathering multiple contestants from different cycles, which we would later see come to fruition with All-Stars. On top of Modelville, Tyra also produced a show called Stylista, an American fashion themed reality television competition series that premiered on the CW Network in 2008. Tyra literally wanted to quit the show in Cycle 8 because she was doing too much. And the show has been consistently dropping in viewership. So I don't understand why Tyra would add on to her plate rather than focus on her moneymaker. I guess an argument can be made about cross promotion and more viewership on Modelville Or The Tyrus Show or Stylista would in turn lead to more ratings for America's Next Top Model. But how can she make Top Model something people actually enjoy watching when they do tune in if she's too busy doing everything else and not focusing on the production quality of her baby? For me personally, and again, I don't know this for sure, it just seemed like she wanted more, more, more. No matter what the case was, she is an extremely hard worker and I cannot imagine her schedule, so I do give her props for that. The inconsistencies and messiness and nastiness of the girls went so beyond drama to the point where people were turned off completely from America's Next Top Model. It was like the show was balancing the scales of the drama and modeling, and it seemed like each cycle they were taking more and more off the side of modeling and putting that weight onto the drama. These weren't contestants we were rooting for anymore. The majority weren't even likable. By cycle 10, viewership dropped off around another half a million. So the ANTM crew was in panic mode trying to improve and tinker the format they had so perfectly laid down years prior because the same old shit wasn't keeping people interested anymore. Viewers were tuning in to CW to watch fiction dramas like Vampire Diaries, Supernatural, and Heart of Dixie. They were no longer interested in America's Next Top Model, and is it really all that shocking in hindsight? That is going to be where we wrap up part two of the evolution of America's Next Stop Model. In the next installment of the series, we will be starting up at cycle 13, and it's going to get real roasty. So if you are here for that, be sure to tune in. Today, I would like to spotlight the website eatingdisordersanonymous.org. Eating Disorders Anonymous, or EDA, is a 12-step fellowship of individuals founded in 2000 by sober members of AA who share their experience, strength, and hope with one another so that they may solve their common problems and help others to recover from their eating disorders. People can and do fully recover from having an eating disorder. In EDA, they help one another identify and claim milestones of recovery. The only requirement for membership is a desire to recover. There are no dues or fees for EDA membership. They are self-supporting through their own contributions. EDA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. EDA does not wish to engage in any controversy. They neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Their primary purpose is to recover from eating disorders and to carry the message of recovery to others with eating disorders. On their website, you can find chatroom meetings as well as phone and Zoom meetings literature ideas of how you could be of service to yourself and others who may be battling eating disorders and of course there is an option to support eda through donations if you are financially able comfortable and choose to do so be sure to check out the pods instagram at ncqh podcast for updates on streaming news and or you can follow my personal instagram at leaa underscore marz and my TikTok is at LEAMARZZ. I also have a collection of poems titled Myocardium available for purchase through Amazon in both a high quality paperback and a mobile version. The link to purchase that is in my personal Instagram bio. A thousand more thank yous for tuning in. Can't wait to chat more in your ear. Until then, stay caffeinated, stay streaming, stay strong.